All right, if you would please, uh, you can take your Bibles together uh, with me this morning, and we're going to be looking at uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 26. In Isaiah chapter 26, it's where we'll take our text. Isaiah chapter 26. And may the Lord bless His Word as He has promised and as He always will. That's not something we have to question or concern about. God uses His Word to accomplish His purpose. He always does. And uh, this is what verse 3 says. Verse 3 says this, Thou wilt keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. He will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Now, the title of the message this morning is going to be, The God of Peace, number two. Now some of you might say, well I've never heard number one, but some did, and it was last Sunday night. And on Sunday nights for quite some time now, I have been using passages of Scripture which uh, uh, are about prayer, and how prayer is sowing to the Spirit. As a matter of fact, I've come to realize that it's probably the most the, the most distinctive way to sow to the Spirit is in our prayer life. And I think that would be obvious to us. So I'm going to read that text. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that I have preached from for the last couple at least Sunday nights. And we'll preach from it again this evening. And here's what it says in verse 23 of that fifth chapter. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God will pray that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now in that text, of course, it starts in the 23rd verse that says the very God of peace In other words, uh, Paul is praying for them because he says in that verse, I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body, be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I've been sharing with those who have participated in that uh, study on Sunday nights, I just really don't think that there's a greater prayer request for ourselves or for our loved ones other than that they be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I use that illustration in saying that we pray for uh, those that are closest to us, maybe our immediate family uh, before others. We pray for others too, maybe our immediate family and then our church family and uh, those things that the Spirit of God lays on our heart. 
And I, I used as an illustration, I have two sons and their families, and that would be my desire for them, that they would be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when that day comes, friend, there's not any more. It is the end. It's the end. And how we stand when He returns to this earth is the most important thing. So, I had preached a message on that subject, the very God of peace, and it impressed upon me why the, that Paul used that term in this context. In this context. Because just to be honest with you, uh, we talk about being at peace, having peace and having joy. And I, I want to just tell you this morning, you don't have any. You, I promise you don't have any. You may think you do, but you don't have any if, this is, if you cannot put yourself in that text that I just read there. If you can't put yourself there and say, yes, I know I belong there and I believe that that's what the Lord is doing because it says in the next verse, faithful is He that calleth you who will do it, who will perform that. You mean God will do that? Yes, that's what the Bible uh, says. And so in our Sunday uh, evening messages, I'm going to be sharing that with you. As a matter of fact, I will start tonight on that subject where he says, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I know I've shared with you before on, the, on that subject of sanctification, but I have felt moved of the Lord to really go deeper in that subject to all the things uh, that it means. So this morning, uh, I'm going to share uh, a, another... Well, I'll share the part of the message Sunday night that I didn't get to. And that is the God of peace. The very God of peace as Paul shares with us there. And I talked a little bit last Sunday night about peace and what a wonderful, wonderful blessing that is. And how that no matter what other rotten things are going on in the world, or maybe even in our personal life, we can have peace that passeth understanding. I was sharing with some folks this morning about being in an optimistic mood all the time. And you know, the child of God is always and can't help themselves in being in an optimistic mood. And I was sharing with him that people oftentimes, like they do you, I know in public, when we depart their presence, they say, will you have a good day? And I always enjoy saying to them, I will. I, I have something to say about that. I will have a good day. And so there's no excuse. Listen to me this morning. The Christian ought to have a smile on their face, ought to be optimistic and upbeat all the time, and uh, it's contagious, I will tell you that. And a bad moon is contagious too. And so most of us don't like being around somebody that is always grumpy and always in a bad mood and walking around on their lower lip all the time. I say that often because I really believe it and I know it by my own personal experience. So this morning, the second installment of the very God of peace. I want to share with you a couple of points related to that that I think are interesting, I think they're important. I want to remind you now, now this is something I said Sunday, last Sunday night. I believe that the Bible teaches us that in all of these titles of God that we find in the Word, all of them, that if we think about them and meditate on them, they will have an impact on our life. I believe that with all my heart. 
The Bible says that He not only is the God of peace, we know that the Bible says He's the God of love. As a matter of fact, He is love. And the Bible says He's the God of all comfort. He's the God of all grace. All of these things, if we meditate on them, if we think about them, uh, and that's about who God is, it'll have an impact on our life. We can't help that. And that's what our text says. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. So I would hope this morning that you would uh, think about the very God of peace. Now there's a couple of points that I didn't get to share last Sunday night and I want to talk to you about them this morning. First of all, when, when the Bible uses that term, the God of peace, we need to think about the fact that He is that regardless of how else we might want to make that application. No matter how. No matter how. He is the God of peace. He, that is His essence. That is who He is in Himself regardless of how that might be experienced outside of Himself. As He is viewed apart from any relationship with any creature on this earth. He still is the God of peace. He is the fountainhead of all peace. Even before God ever created man, before man ever existed, before anything in our world or our universe that we can relate to, He still was the God of peace. That's who God is. You know, I'm a firm believer this morning in uh, focusing in our Bible study on the person of God. Who He is in essence. I say a lot about his uh, about the divine perfections. I love what we can learn from the Bible about Him, about His divine perfection. And we cannot help but be impacted and influenced by that. And I know that personally because of my own personal experience related to that. So the title, the God of Peace, is who He is. That's His essence. That's who God is. Every definition that we might come up with this morning about what that means. What does peace mean? What does peace mean? Now, I don't know whether you noticed it or not, but I'll bring it to your attention again before I get through. But we just sang a song about that. Uh, when peace like a river attendeth my way. We just sang that. And I want to point something out related to that before I'm finished. But every definition that we might come up with about what peace is, that describes God. Uh, I wrote some of those things down in my little pea brain that I could come up with. One would be perfect tranquility. Have you ever experienced that? Perfect tranquility. You say, but preacher, I can't experience that because of what goes on in my world around me. Oh, yes you can, my friend, because He gives peace that passes understanding. Perfect tranquility reigns in God's whole being. Uh, another thing that I wrote down is that He is never ruffled. Oh, you say, but we are. Yes, we are. Never ruffled. Uh, never perturbed. Either within or without Himself. That's the way God is. That's the way God is. Nothing ever surprised Him. Have you ever thought about that? Nothing ever surprised 
God. You know why? Because in Acts chapter 15 and verse 18, it says this. And I want you to think about this. Known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. Known unto God. Literally everything. I want you to know this morning, the God of the Bible is not a God that's ever disturbed or perturbed. Or, you know, some people's theology really is a mess because they have a God that's, uh, to use human terms, always wringing His hands wondering what He's going to do next because He can't accomplish this or accomplish that. That's not the God I know. That's not the God of the Bible. Never, He is never surprised. Listen to this. He's never disappointed. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 36, of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. That's what the Bible says. And so, He's never disappointed. You say, but surely He is because I'm so rebellious sometimes and think, no, God's not disappointed. The God of the Bible is always accomplishing His perfect will, always. He always does. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I'll bring that out uh, really strongly before I get through with that text that I'm preaching from on Sunday night that says that God will perform that. God will perform that. You know, if we have the idea about God that He's defeated or whatever because He's not getting His will or way, and uh, every once in a while I'll say to you about that passage of Scripture that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to uh, repentance. And the wrong interpretation of that verse, because all you have to do is look at it, and it's talking about usward. God is not willing that any of us should perish, but that all of us should come to repent. You see, if you th- say that about everybody, then God must be disappointed. No, God's not disappointed. God is going to accomplish His perfect will in everything. So He's never disturbed. Never disturbed. In James chapter 1 and verse 7, He is the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He is always the same. He is unchanging. He is the immutable God. You see, we want to make God like us. We want, to, we want to say, this is what I think God is like. This is what I believe He ought to be like, or whatever. Well, God says that somewhere in the Old Testament. I'm not the way you thought I was. We don't know, see? So we need to learn that from the Scripture. So this is about who God is. He is the God of peace regardless of how we might apply that. Or regardless of any relationship or action on His part. That's who He is. The God of peace. So I want to tell you this morning, if your theology makes Him something other than the God of peace, you need to change your theology. You need to study your Bible, and you need to learn how God is. Now not only that, but we know that God is a triune being. It is uh, God is revealed in the Scripture as uh, the three persons of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all one God now. We're not, uh, we're, we're uh, monotheistic and we don't believe that there are three gods, but we believe in one God revealed unto us in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Also, this is applicable to all the persons of the Trinity, uh, of Jesus. You all are familiar with Isaiah 
uh, chapter number 9, and I'm going to read that in your hearing. In Isaiah chapter uh, 9, talking about Jesus Christ, and here's what it says about Him in Isaiah chapter 9 and in verse number uh, 6. It says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulders, and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, listen, the Mighty God, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. So this is not only related to God the Father, but God the Son. And in the book of Hebrews in chapter 7, where it is talking about Christ through the person of Melchizedek, the priest, it calls Him the King of Peace. And then obviously we know this morning that the Holy Spirit would fall in that category also, that He would also be the God of peace. And let me just share with you uh, these verses of Scripture related to the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit... What are the, what are the different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Peace is one of them. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness, and faith, meekness, temperance, and against such there is no law. And so, the fruit of the Spirit is peace. I will tell you this morning, if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within you, and He grants peace. That is the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Also, we find this in Romans, the 14th chapter, and the 17th verse. It says, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So, does He have part in Yes, He does. He has part in that also. And so, we can apply that to all three persons of the Trinity. And so, that is wonderful news for us. Now the second point I want to share with you is not only that God is the God of peace regardless of any other application we may make, that is who He is. Also, He's the originator, He's the establisher, He's the very cause of any experience of peace that we may have because He has means whereby that He may be Uh, at peace with His people. That's why He's the cause of peace and the establisher of peace. The God of peace. Now, He's not the God of peace to everybody. That's obvious. Not the God of peace to everybody. I want to make reference to something that I remember years ago when I found it. You can get your songbook and turn to hymn number uh, 267. I want to show you something. I remember years ago when uh, one Christmas we were singing these Christmas hymns, and uh, this is the this hymn in two two sixty seven. I I heard the bells on Christmas Day, and I remember the first time I ever paid any attention to this. And I'll just read these words. This is what the hymn says: I heard the bells on Christmas Day. They're old, familiar carols play. Uh, 
And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, good will toward to, uh, to men. The second verse says, I thought how, as as the day had come, the belfries of old Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And then that third verse. I, I remember so well when I, when I really paid attention to what that said. And here's what it says. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. This is Henry Wadsworth Longfellow who penned these words. He goes on to say, For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You know, anybody looking at our world around us, we would recognize that very fact that he's writing. Something interesting happened here. This was uh, during the American Civil War that he was writing these words. It really was on Christmas Day. The first line says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. He was writing as he was hearing the bells on Christmas Day. And the American Civil War, his son was fighting in that war. And he had just got word that his son was killed in that war. Was killed in that war. And that's when he wrote these words. They are literal. They're literal. And so he penned that. I, I thank God that the other two verses were penned also. And I want to read them. Uh, verse 4, Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth He sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, good will to men. I want to tell you this morning, the good news is, God is not the God of peace in our fallen world. He is not. I, I will tell you that all who are unregenerate in our world today, who don't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, you don't have peace. You may say you do, you may think you do, but you do not have it. You do not have peace. He goes on in the last verse to say, Then ringing, singing, on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime, of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We know that was the angels' message when they come to the shepherds. They, they left that message. And it is. It's a wonderful message. And you know why it's so wonderful? It's wonderful because whatever's going on in our world, there may not be any peace. There's not. There's not. I heard something the other day that troubled me greatly. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how close we've come of recent day to nu nuclear warfare in our world. And we really have. We've come close to that. As a matter of fact, I think some want it. Some are promoting it. And so, uh, what I heard was that if we have a, a nuclear war, uh, 7 billion people will die of famine. They will die. And that we would understand that because everything that we know and experience in life daily or weekly or monthly would cease to be. It would just stop. Everything would stop. People in these large cities 
where there's just multitude and multitude of people, they would just start dying immediately because they couldn't get even the basic things that they need. That's the condition of our world. There's not peace on earth. There's not peace for the unregenerate. Oh, there's peace for us who know the Lord. We experience it down deep in our heart. But He's not the God of peace to the world uh, that we live in. You see, there's a couple of things I want to share related to that. In respect to His judicial relationship to the world, in respect to that, uh, He has, peace has been removed. Peace has been removed. You see, when, when Adam uh, sinned, when all mankind actually sinned in Adam, when all mankind sinned in Adam, you know that, that's coming up in our Wednesday night study because the question has come about uh, age of accountability. And so you can't help but think about the condition or relationship of young children and everything to God. You know, a lot of times people just think, well, you know, they're all right because they're innocent. My brother and sister, they're not all right because they're innocent. They're innocent all right. They may not know anything of personal sin, but don't you ever think for one minute that they weren't born in iniquity and in sin. Don't think for one minute that they didn't come into this world guilty before God. And, and I'm going to be teaching about uh, why I believe that all Infants who die in infancy go to heaven. I, I may not share it like some people think, but I'll share it like the Bible teaches related to that. So when all mankind sinned in Adam, and all mankind did sin in Adam, God was legally separated from all mankind. That's what it means, uh, a fallen world. And that's where we live. We dwell in a fallen world. So they were legally separated from God. And all mankind were morally separated from God. Legally and morally separated from God. Why did that come about? It came about because of a just God. Of a holy God. A holy God. He is the moral governor of the universe. God has never overlooked sin. You say, but preacher, you... You say that sometimes, that, that God has put away our sin. He can put away our sin, but God never overlooked it. God never overlooked sin. There's a price to be paid for sin. And if your sin has been set aside, it is because the price has been paid. The penalty has been taken. I'm saved today. I'm going to heaven when I die. Not because I deserve that. Not because I'm worthy of that. I'm going because my Lord and Savior loved me with an everlasting love. And I've never been able to understand that. And He took upon Himself the penalty of my sin. My sin, as we sang. Not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And I will tell you this morning, you have no praise. You have no worship apart from that. Knowing that, being aware of that, oh, what an awesome price was paid for that. So God is the moral governor of the universe. He could not ignore sin. As a moral judge, His curse fell 
on all the fallen human race. That's what the Bible teaches. His curse fell there. And so he could not overlook it. The Bible tells us in Ephesians in chapter number 2, talking about the unregenerate state. I'm going to turn back there and, and read that. Talking about the unregenerate state. Paul says this in verse number 1 of the third chapter, "...and you hath he quickened who were dead and trespasses in sin." And I want to tell you something, if you know the Lord today, that's who you are. You've been made alive. You've been resurrected from the dead spiritually. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Raised from the dead. And then he goes on to talk about the condition prior to that. Verse 2, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world. God is describing what that unregenerate state is like. There are, is a world full of people walking according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? That's the devil himself. Oh, but preacher, I'm not saved, but I don't, I don't, I'm not following the devil. You are following the devil also. And uh, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And I, I, I bring a passage of Scripture to your attention every once in a while because I just think it's such an awesome uh, passage. It says this in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, yes, it says beginning in verse 24. And Paul is talking to young Timothy when he says this, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, Impatient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. Preacher, I'm not saved. Are you preaching to me? I sure am. You're one of them that oppose yourself. That's exactly who you are. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by Him at His will. Well, I don't believe the devil bothered me much. Well, maybe he don't need to. But friend, I want to tell you, don't you think for one minute he's not capable of doing that. You see, if you don't belong to the Lord, He can do whatever He pleases with, with you. And so, uh, that's what the Bible says about that. And then, not only... And the Bible says as long as they're in unbelief, in John chapter 3 and verse 36, the wrath of God abideth upon Him. That's what the Bible says. So I'm preaching about that God can take away the peace. God has already taken away the peace. Nobody in this fallen world has it or can have it apart from Jesus Christ. And then we're the... They're the object of the penal or disciplinary hatred of God. Psalms 5.5 5, He hateth all workers of iniquity. I've had people tell me, you know, God hates the iniquity, but He don't hate the person. He hates the worker of iniquity. That is what the Bible says. And so, the God of peace is the God who has taken peace away from this world. All of this fallen world. They have not peace. They cannot. They may have... Jesus distinguished between two different kinds of peace. He said, My peace I give you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. So, in the world, we may experience some form of peace, 
But it sure didn't come from God. You see what I'm saying. And so that's what the Bible says. But I'm thankful this morning to share with you that the term God of peace reveals Him as the provider of peace, the God who has reconciled Himself to His people. He has reconciled Himself to His people. So He's the God of peace in that He gives it to every true believer. The way Christ did it for them, the Bible says this, and I used this just a week or two ago in preaching on what it meant to be perfect. I'm going to read this. It's in Hebrews 13, verse 20 and verse 21. This is an awesome text. The Bible says this, Now the God of peace, there's no... Did you know that the God of peace is found about five times more than any of these other terms? So it must mean something in the Scripture. The God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Then it says in verse 21, "...make you perfect in every good work to do His will." working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight. Don't you think for one minute that a sovereign God does not perform that which is pleasing in His sight in our personal lives? Don't you think that for one minute? There are people that have the idea, you know, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and God just sits back and waits to see what I'm going to do. No, I'm going to tell you something, friend. This is a message that comes out clear in the Bible that He does. He worketh in you His perfect will. And it says, make you perfect or complete in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and forever. So He's called the God of peace. That's, he's the one that's doing that. He's the one that's doing it. You see, because He Himself must be reconciled to His people. And they're not capable of doing that apart from Him. And so He does that. That's what the Bible says. And it's what the Spirit works in them, as I've already said. And what they are made willing to do, the Bible says, in the day of His power. Oh, let me tell you something, my friend. When you know Christ truly, when you know Him as your not only your Savior, but your Lord, what does Lord mean? Does it mean anything? You better believe it does. That means that He will work in us that which is well-pleasing in His sight. And he, he has a very keen way of doing that. He treats us like little children sometimes. Do you know that? You see, the Bible says, Who is it that the Lord chastened? Every son He receiveth. You see, He does. You see, if you th- believe in a God that doesn't do that, you're not believing in the God of, God of the Bible. And so He does it in that way. Listen to this verse. This is how it comes about. This is found in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. And it says this, And having made peace through the blood of His cross. Why do I have peace with God? Why do I have peace with the God of peace? This is how. By Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. It's what He's doing. Unto Himself. By Him I say whether they are things of the earth or things of heaven. That's what Jesus was doing when He went to the cross. He was providing peace by the blood that He shed there on that cross. Now, I want to I wanna share this. I told Brother Aaron I wanted to leave this songbook up here because I had a couple of uh, uh, things I wanted to say related. Yeah, I love the songs. 
I, I tell people all the time, you know, you, even if you don't want to sing, even if you got a sore throat, uh, get your songbook, look at the words of the songs, and um, they will bless your heart. And we just sung this song just a little, just a moment ago. But I want to read this verse before I share with you the words of the song. Here's the verse. And it's in Isaiah 48.18 if you're taking notes. Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments. This is what God says. Then had they peace, had they peace been like a river. Peace like a river. Think about that. You say, preacher, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm kind of backslidden. You know, I'm out of His will. I want to tell you this morning, you, 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 you pay for that. You will pay for that. People think that I'll do whatever I please. I'll serve Him if I feel like it. I'll serve Him if I want to. And if I take an ocean, I'm just not going to do it. Then there's no consequences in my life. You're wrong, my friend. That's not the way the Bible's talked. But He said, if you keep my commandments, then they would have had peace like a river and righteousness as a wave of the sea. And that song says in verse 1, when peace like a river. You say, well, wonder where the songwriter got that. The songwriter got it right straight out of the Bible. The songwriter was thinking about peace when he wrote it. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say. It is well. It is well with my soul. You see, that's how we have peace with God. It has to be well with our soul. One Christmas, one of our granddaughters bought, she didn't buy it for me, she brought, got, gave it to Sue. <laughs> that's, that's her nanny. She's going to take care of her nanny. But it's a it's two-part plaque. One part says, it is well. And the other one right beside it says, with my soul. And in our living room, if you visit our house, and you sit down in our living room, you'll see that plaque that says, It is well with my soul. There is no peace apart from that. I love the words of this song. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed His own blood for my soul. My sins, O oh the bliss. This is my favorite verse. My sin, O oh the bliss. Of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I want to tell you something. There are people here today I know who know that is a fact. You know that it's real. You've experienced it. And the last verse says, And Lord, haste that day when face shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. You see, He's the God that takes peace away. He has. But He's the God that gives peace back to us because He must be reconciled to His people. This is His work. His work. You, somebody might say, well, you know, I'm saved because I decided I wanted to be reconciled to my Lord. Well, i got to tell you, friend, He beat you to it. It was His will and His purpose in all that He did 
to reconcile His people to Himself. That is an act of God. Thank You, dear Lord, that You tell us You are the God of peace. And thank You, dear Lord, because if we dwell on You and we focus on that very fact, that You will keep our hearts in perfect peace. We thank You that it is uh, something we should meditate on. The Bible teaches us we should. Oh God, I thank You for that wonderful truth. That we can wake up in our sleep at night and the thoughts come to our mind about what an awesome God You are and how You blessed us. I pray You'd bless this closing hymn today. Whatever the needs might be, we pray, O oh Lord, You'd work in our hearts and bring those needs to reality. In Jesus' name and for His sake we pray. Amen. Now would you stand together with me as Aaron leads us in a closing number.